people often focus on collecting more and more and more connections, but don't focus on the quality of those connections. And I think it's great that you have 2,000 connections on LinkedIn, but what good are those connections if you have applied to a job at Disney and you go to your 2,000 connections and search to see if any of your 2,000 connections work at Disney and you find someone and you email them or message them on LinkedIn and they don't respond because you're just a number on LinkedIn to them, you know, because you don't have a relationship with them. So I think we need to ditch this focus on size of network and flip it to quality of relationships because it's much more powerful to have a network of 100 people that would actually respond to your emails or recognize your name or your face when you reach out to them. Welcome and welcome back to Design to Be Conversation. My name is Rachel Weissman. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Design to Be and the host of our show. I hope you all had a beautiful summer and are rejuvenated as we move into the fall. I am super excited to be back after taking a few months break from our show. For over 50 episodes, we've had insightful conversations with some of your favorite design leaders. Some of your favorite episodes have been with David Hong, the head of product design at Webflow, Sabrina Hall, a senior product design manager at Etsy, and Jason James, VP of product at Instacart. We dove into their stories and advice to better understand how investing in their emotional intelligence has impacted their careers. Moving forward, we're shifting our focus. We're still talking with some of your favorite design leaders. We're still diving into the stories and the advice. Yet, instead of focusing on EQ, we're unpacking how they continue to learn, grow, and skill build throughout their careers. And this includes mental models that they've developed to continue growing, to skills they're focused on developing, and much, much more. Each episode will not only help you navigate your career more effectively, but they will even enable you to build better products as a result. Let's dive into it. In today's episode, I chat with Sarah Duty. Sarah is the founder and CEO of Career Strategy Lab a UX career accelerator that helps UX and product professionals navigate their job search and get hired without applying to hundreds of jobs. Professionals that have worked with Sarah have landed jobs at Amazon, Blue Origin, Home Depot, IBM, Microsoft, Salesforce, and more. And on average, they increased their salaries by 40%. And she is also a user experience designer, researcher, and educator. Having worked in the UX industry for more than 18 years, she began her career by working at large corporations and startups before launching her own product design consultancy in 2012. For more information on Sarah, you can visit careerstrategylab.com or saraduty.com. She can also be found on Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. We dive into what are the timeless skills that you need to excel in your career, how to go about creating a product roadmap for your career, 
and much, much more. Welcome, Sarah, to the show. Thanks, Rachel. I'm excited to be here today. Yeah. So this episode has been a, a long time coming. And we first connected, maybe, I feel like, I feel like maybe even over a year ago. Yeah, we definitely spoke in the spring, but I think we were emailing and DMing long before that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so you've been very much a part of how this podcast has started to shift in terms of our focus. And uh, with now the shift to how designers continue to learn, grow, and skill build throughout their career. We're talking about a bunch of different topics that we could uh, dive into uh, within that. Where we landed, which is very much in uh, the wheelhouse of work that you do, is uh, how to treat your career like a product. Before we dive into that, I'm curious if you could share a bit about maybe the first moment that you decided that you wanted to become a designer. Oh, good question. I mean, specific to... UX design. This was close to 20 years ago. I was kind of working as a graphic designer and web designer, just learning the ropes basically in in a small agency. And I remember we were working on kind of a travel website. And in the back of my head, I was thinking what we just launched was not exactly what we thought we were going to launch. And someone gave me a copy of a book called Information Architecture for the World Wide Web, which opened my eyes to this field, which I knew nothing about. And really from that moment, I remember thinking to myself, I want to be the person that like organizes the information, makes sure that what gets designed is kind of built. So my career has clearly evolved a lot, you know, since then, but that was a really pivotal moment. And I think what attracted me to that field is how it was kind of the perfect balance of creativity and kind of technical mindset. And I'm guessing you have a similar wired brain. (laughs) Completely. The intersection of like the creative and analytical is a nice place to be between. Yeah. So that was 20 years ago. And how did uh, then uh, the shift into more of the work that you're doing now, what sparked that shift for you? And maybe for folks that aren't as familiar with what you're up to and stuff, if you could provide a bit of color on that as well. Definitely. So, you know, I went through these phases in my career of, I just gave myself whatever title I felt like giving myself. Like I remember making business cards and just calling myself an information architect or like UX designer. I mean, I just made it up totally. But I, you know, went through phases of doing more information architecture focused work, more visual design focused work, even some programming. And I remember at one point thinking to myself, I need to kind of have a fork in the road because I can't do all of this. And I think it's kind of very in line with what we're talking about today, where you notice that maybe you're more adept at certain things, they come more naturally to you, but also recognizing that to have a very kind of timeless career or be building skills that will serve you in the future, you kind of have to go deep in something. And so at the time I was doing information architecture and kind of user experience and visual design. And I thought to myself, I can't do all of this. So I made a conscious decision to drop the visual design side of things, meaning like 
pixel perfect stuff ready for developers. And I still love design. I still design like my own little website, but I don't have companies pay me to do that. It's a decision that a lot of us will face in our career. But how I got to what I do now, which is really more focused on UX education and career coaching, back in 2017, I was running my own agency and I was inundated with questions about how to make a portfolio, how to get hired in UX. And so selfishly, I just made a workshop that I thought, if I just make this workshop, I'll teach it once and I'll never have to talk about this topic of portfolios again. (laughs) (laughs) And then so many people signed up. I had to make a wait list. And then the people that took the workshop, some of them started to get hired. And then kind of the business side of me was thinking, I think I'm onto something here. So slowly from 2017 until maybe 2020 or so, I kind of side hustled this with no investment, like me funding everything, doing my agency consulting work and this at the same time until I kind of, again, decided to put a fork in the road and go all in on this. And now Career Strategy Lab is like this full-fledged business with five employees and it's 90% of what I do. I maybe do two UX consulting projects a year, depending on availability and stuff, but this is all I do now. And I'm sure we're going to talk more about that, but that's the story. This kind of dives into our topic for today, but I want to really hone in on one specific part of the story that you mentioned is uh, you had an itch, you saw a problem in your own experience and you went for it. And first your mind was like, okay, we'll just do this as a one-time thing and it'll be done and it'll get back to what, what I'm usually doing. But then there was something there. So can you speak a bit more to like that initial part of uh, you putting something out there and uh, what possibly other skills that you needed to learn in order to put this out into the world for folks that are listening who they have something that's maybe a side hustle that they maybe want to experiment with. Can you provide a bit more color on that piece? Yeah. So it's so funny in hindsight because I really did think I'm just going to make this workshop about portfolios and no one's going to ask me again. But once I realized like there was a business opportunity and I guess it's important to point out I've worked at a lot of different startups and I've always felt very comfortable with the business side of things, like marketing side of things, sales side of things. A couple of startups I was in, like I would get pulled into marketing or sales activities and it just comes very naturally to me. I think partially because good marketing and sales is really dependent on excellent storytelling And then communicating things visually. And like in one of the startups I worked in, I got roped into making the sales decks because I could tell a story about the product and make it not look like crap. So I've always had my hands in sales and marketing and the product, even like making investor pitch decks and, you know, mock screens of websites to satisfy investors. So I've always had my hands on that. And I think part of it is a timing thing in my own life. When I stumbled upon this opportunity, I was looking for a way out of 
consulting and kind of this pseudo agency model because I knew that only scales so far. You can only charge however many dollars an hour, right? Or most people. I didn't feel comfortable charging like $20,000 an hour. You know, it just seems crazy. But the agency and consulting model has a financial cap unless you grow an agency and have employees. And I didn't want to do that. And the other thing, and I think more important was I am very conscious and protective of my time. And I don't like to open my calendar and see a wall of meetings. And that's what my life was when I did consulting, right? And so I was looking for a way to scale my earning potential as an individual without having tons of meetings. And this made me realize that was possible because I was listening to a different podcast. One of them is uh, by a guy named Pat Flynn, who does this podcast called the Smart Passive Income Podcast. And a lot of the people on that podcast ran various forms of online coaching or online education. And so I think that context is important because all of those kind of domino pieces fell into place when I realized, okay, this topic could be the thing that allows me to create this business that has really awesome scaling potential without me having meetings one-on-one with people all the time. What just kind of mirroring back what you said a bit is uh, you became very clear of, okay, what is the, like, the thesis or yes. the, like, the core of how you wanted to map your career? And you knew that it was and my uh, life and and your and your life yeah and your life because it's how how you spend your time. So you knew that it was not a lot of meetings, and it also scratched this itch internally. Yeah, like looking back on that experience and other kind of pivot points in my career, it is so ironic, but shouldn't be surprising, I guess, that I'm like the you know design your career type person. <laughs> I've been doing this for years and I recently stumbled upon a keynote presentation I made like for myself probably in 2008 or something where it was like a journey map of my career so far where I wanted it to go it's a little bit creepy to be honest cuz so much of it has come true but I've always been applying design principles to my career and life, it just was a no-brainer to me back then, you know? So now it has turned into this business, which is pretty mind-blowing. Let's dive a bit deeper into this idea of treating your career like a product. So for folks who are thinking of, okay, I'm curious about this. I, I maybe want to get started in some way. How can they go about shifting their mindset to start thinking about doing such? Yeah. So. I think, you know, whether you work in tech or whether you work in retail or education, we all purchase products. And so we all have probably watched Shark Tank or something, right? And so treating your career like a product, it's really simple. Just picture a Venn diagram with you at the center of the Venn diagram. And then the three circles, there's a circle for product, a circle for marketing, and a circle for sales. Because Every product needs those three things. You can have an awesome product, 
But if you don't have solid marketing, no one's going to know about it. You could have a great product and great marketing, but if your sales are not very solid, for example, like your website has a crappy checkout or something, or it's priced too high, you know, then probably no one's going to buy it. So that at a super high level, like that's treating your career like a product in a tweet or an Instagram post. <laughs> and to go a little deeper, you know, when you think of yourself in that product circle, you as a product, you really have to think about what are the features and benefits that you have. And so that is really the skills you have, the experience you have, experience whether that's with software or an industry or types of products or managing people. And I think that like reframing helps people understand how to treat yourself like a product. My mind started going in a couple of different directions. So <laughs> when thinking about a product specifically, yes, of course, marketing is important. Yes, sales is important. For folks who are potentially more introverted and they're like, okay, hey, Sarah, I want to get an amazing job. And yes, I want to treat my career like a product and uh, design my career. But I don't want to market it. I don't want to sell it. You don't want to brag about yourself. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I feel like there's this uh, almost like pressure to have a some kind of like social presence in today's day and age, which is a beautiful thing for getting your word out there and everything. All that being said, it's not a fit for everyone. So could you speak to possibly both paths for folks who maybe uh, stepping more into this marketing sales bucket and having a presence, whether it be socially or any other facet? And equally, how would you go about wearing this or integrating this marketing and sales when maybe it's not as public facing? I mean, I totally understand how some people might hear marketing and freeze up and think like, I'm an introvert. I can't do that. I'm too shy or I don't like to brag. And when you think of that marketing circle, you kind of are already doing it, even though you don't realize it. Part of marketing is having, you know, materials in place to let people know who you are and what you do. And so when it comes to the marketing of you, I look at things like your resume, your LinkedIn profile, maybe cover letters, some presentation of your work. You can call it a portfolio, work samples. I don't care. But to me, those kind of four core assets, if you will, are kind of baseline for everyone. So even if you're an introvert, like you still need a resume, right? So part of this is not necessarily about like developing a personal brand and going live on YouTube seven times a week and also maintaining a TikTok. Like that, it sounds stressful to me. I am intentionally not on TikTok because I feel like I'm too introverted for that. But even if you are not an extrovert, you still need all those things. And so part of the marketing activity is really making sure that those materials are optimized. So they're telling the right story about you, because even if you have all those assets, chances are they may not be up to date. They may be hard to read. They may be too surface level, et cetera. And so that's kind of like, phase one of the marketing piece. I think marketing then expands a little bit into 
how you might use social media. And I think even if you don't like to put yourself out there, you can still use something like LinkedIn, which I think is the most effective platform to be on because it is, you know, rooted in professional connections, right? And so with LinkedIn, I don't think you need to be like going live on LinkedIn and writing articles that go viral every week. Like that's not possible. But how could an introvert market themselves on LinkedIn? First of all, having a strong LinkedIn profile, but also being very mindful about what you post and how you interact with people. So we see a lot of content on LinkedIn right now, which is very like meme driven and kind of joking. It's it's almost like LinkedIn is Instagram. And I think the bar to stand out on LinkedIn is pretty low if you ask me. So for example, if you read an article or listen to a podcast, make a post about a little takeaway from that podcast or article. Like that's a great way to generate thoughtful posts on LinkedIn. And in a similar way, I think a lot of people get lazy with how they respond on LinkedIn in terms of the comments and things. And just, you know, giving a thumbs up or a heart, yeah, that takes two seconds, but is anyone going to remember you? Whereas if you write a thoughtful comment, it's more likely that someone might remember you. So if you're looking for a job, like one thing you can do is kind of make a list of people that work at the companies you want to work at. And then from time to time, every Friday, whatever you want to do, go to their LinkedIn profile and comment on one of their posts or something. And they'll eventually notice. I think the other thing too is like, don't be afraid to question why people might recommend that you do something. You know, we see posts all over the place that say, you need a personal brand. Some like UX education programs tell the students, like, you need to be on Instagram. You need to do this. And that may not be right for everyone's personality. Like, I'm not on TikTok because I don't want to make dancing videos like those mime videos and crap. So maybe I'll give like low-key business advice there. But just because you read a piece of advice, I think there's often this knee-jerk reaction. Like, I read it on Twitter, so it must be right. And I think people need to develop that critical thinking habit of, well, why would I do that? Like, why would I start a UX Instagram account? Why would I start a YouTube channel? And then do you even enjoy that? You know, so a lot of it comes back to just being more mindful about things and thinking for yourself. We are going to take a short break to hear an exciting update from design to be design to be has been researching and ideating on a digital product. We're super excited about what's in the works, but we need your help. We are looking to chat with heads of design, design managers, and IC designers to better understand the design process at your organization. If you are open for a 30-minute call with me and or design to bes co-founder and CTO, Keith Stevens, Head to designtobe.com forward slash app to join our waitlist. That's D-E-S-I-G-N-T-O-B-E dot com forward slash A-P-P. After adding your name to the waitlist, we'll then follow up via email. 
Over a short call, we'll share what we're building, get your feedback, and learn more about your team's design process. These calls directly impact the future of what we're building at Design to Be. So thank you for your support. And we're excited to continue to build Design to Be together. Now, back to the show. We're constantly collecting data. Yes. <laughs> um, and deciding what to do with that information. The more space that we can create between the data that we collect and the actions that we take doesn't mean that it takes a long time to take those actions. The more intentional and authentic we can be with those actions. Definitely. Let's move to sales. Yeah. Yeah. So sales is really about, I think, relationships. We probably all know salespeople and so much of what they do is having conversations, getting to know people, building trust, you know, and that's what you need to be doing to sell slash get hired, make people purchase the product of you, however you want to phrase that. And to me, the sales element is really about relationship building. You know, we have this phrase networking and I'm very anti-networking because I think networking kind of just comes with a bad vibe. It feels very inauthentic. People often focus on kind of collecting more and more and more connections, but don't focus on the quality of those connections. And I think it's great that you have 2,000 connections on LinkedIn, but what good are those connections if you have applied to a job at Disney and you go to your 2,000 connections and search to see if any of your 2,000 connections work at Disney and you find someone and you email them or message them on LinkedIn and they don't respond because you're just a number on LinkedIn to them, you know, because you don't have a relationship with them. So I think we need to ditch this focus on size of network and flip it to quality of relationships because it's much more powerful to have a network of 100 people that would actually respond to your emails or recognize your name or your face when you reach out to them. And so the follow-up question that so many people have is, well, how do I build authentic relationships, you know? And kind of, as we said in marketing, it's not by liking someone's content, you know, 20 times in a row. It takes effort and you almost have to project manage that. And you could be as nitty gritty as you want, but a simple thing to do would like make a spreadsheet of the people that you want to kind of focus on for say a quarter. I'm just making this up, but Let's say you think to yourself, these are the people I'm going to focus on for the next quarter and make a point to like have a phone call with each of them, you know, once a quarter, send each of them an email and then actively like go to their LinkedIn and comment thoughtfully. And I know that probably sounds like a lot of work to people. And some people would say, you know, no one has time for that, but the return on investment of that is so powerful because if you do see an opportunity or you let your network know that you're looking for a job, they're way more likely to help you because they actually know something about you, you know, and they could funnel opportunities or introductions. And they can't do that if you're just a number on LinkedIn. 
I so, so, so resonate with what you're saying. There's so much emphasis, but I feel like it's starting to make a shift. There is so much emphasis on quantity and having a large, whether it be following or number of connections, if we confide it to LinkedIn. I'm curious from your point of view of what's stopping folks. Maybe it is the like, I don't have time for this, but what's stopping folks from putting that investment and maybe confining it to designers of making that investment in these relationships or seeing that there is value in, we'll say like planting these seeds and uh, forming these more authentic connections? That's a great question. And part of me wants to say, I think somewhere along the last decade or two decades, I don't know, it almost feels like we've lost our ability to have basic social skills, <laughs> which sounds so ridiculous, but I think social media has really made us very transactional in how we interact with each other and very formal in how we address. Formal is probably the wrong word because social media is so informal, but specific to LinkedIn and business, sometimes I find the messages I receive are just so formal and like uptight and not human. And oftentimes the people in my career strategy lab program, like one of the things we really say is in the job search, you need to be finding people who work at the companies you want to work at and like messaging them like cold outreach. And after we started teaching that, the next problem that came up was no one knew what to say. And so now we have like exact Mad Lib style things you can use to cold message people. But I don't know why people are not good at this. I think it's partially a fear of rejection. And then when that fear creeps up, it's like a cement blockade and they can no longer think for themselves. And so to answer the question who for people who might be listening, like if you're cold emailing someone at a company you want to work at, for example, one of the first things I would do would like go to their LinkedIn, look at their profile and see if you have anything in common and then use that as an anchor. So if we're making a little like formula of how to cold email someone, you need an anchor, some type of thing you have in common. Maybe they posted an article, a video, tweeted something, whatever. Mention that as the anchor. Like, hey, I read your article about blah, blah, blah. Really interesting. This is my takeaway. Then you need to have an ask. So it's an anchor and an ask. And the ask needs to be like super simple, not asking for them to be your mentor for the rest of their career, but like a very simple question that they could answer in like a one minute email response. So every communication should have an anchor and an ask. And hopefully that helps like alleviate some of the paralyzation, I think, that happens as a result of fear of rejection and then just not knowing what to say to people. But if you're a researcher, like this should be very easy to you because all you're doing is researching what people may have said online or in an article and using that as an anchor to get their attention, you know? Like you have something in common. I really resonate with that framing. And I also think it does a great job in scoping the ask to make it more approachable, especially like earlier on in my career. And even 
I'd say like a, for me, a good tipping point was starting this podcast of uh, just cold reaching out to people that I really looked up to and just going for it and seeing that people responded yeah, <laughs> and was like, oh, wow, cool. <laughs> and uh, no matter whether it be a design manager at XYZ company or another designer that you're reaching out to at XYZ company, everyone is uh, human juggling whatever they're juggling. And so being very specific and formulating that common ground and then into a specific ask is such great advice. And, you know, especially if you consider some of the people you're reaching out to might receive a lot of messages in any given day or or week. And that anchor kind of serves dual purpose because it helps the recipient remember who you were. So it's like, okay, Rachel was the one that mentioned she also runs marathons or something, you know, and it makes an association. Maybe this analogy is silly, but like in my little circle of girlfriends that I have, if we're talking about like guys we've dated or or we're dating, like they all have little weird nicknames like they did in Sex in the City, you know? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it makes it easier to recall those people. And touch on one other piece adjacent to uh, this conversation of treating your career like a product. And we've touched on this a little bit, but these uh, timeless transferable skills. And you mentioned that a bit at the beginning, but a lot of the skills that you've highlighted, whether it be in this product or marketing or sales buckets, I feel like very much falls into this timeless transferable skills arena. So can you touch a bit more about what that even is and the importance of them and such? Yeah. So if you think back to that Venn diagram and that product circle, you know, we talked about how the product element of you is really your skills, your experience, features, if you will. And like, you only have a certain amount of time and energy and mental capacity to learn more new things. And so I think you need to be very mindful about, going back to critical thinking, about why you are developing certain skills or learning certain software, and then the order in which you develop those, because there's so much pressure to learn a new software or learn to code or become a manager, whatever it is. And I think a lot of people read those articles and and post some things and don't think about it and then just go sign up for a coding class. (laughs) And I think it's really important. Like so much of this conversation is coming back to being more mindful, but I think that part is really important because it gives you a filter to make decisions about, is this right for me and my career. If I had to list off like soft skills that are really, really important that kind of translate to the product sales and marketing things, some of the top ones that come to mind are like written communication, for sure. Verbal communication, you know, whether you're interviewing or whether you are presenting work to colleagues or stakeholders even if you have a fear of public speaking, that is an important skill to develop. I myself 
used to have a fear of public speaking so much so that somehow I somehow circumvented the requirement to take a public speaking class in college. (laughs) But now I get it because once you're employed, you know, or interviewing, you need that skill. Critical thinking, so important. I think it's kind of a vague skill, but I think it starts with being more mindful, slowing down, asking why. And Rachel, it's kind of ironic because a lot of what goes into critical thinking to me is kind of baseline skills of UX people to begin with, you know? Where my mind started going from kind of like linking together everything that we've been talking about is so for the person who is like, okay, Sarah, I'm ready to create this Venn diagram. My mind is starting to go into like time constraints. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Do you do you recommend it being kind of like a vision for a year, for a quarter? Of course, like there's many ways of going about it, but like tactically, how should someone scope this for optimal success? If you're looking to get hired like in the next six months, then this is something that you need to do kind of linearly so that you need to get clarity on the product. And then you need to create those marketing materials that represent that product. And then you start applying and then you start using those relationship building and nurturing that we talked about to kind of sell yourself and ultimately like close the deal for lack of better words. So that is going to look different depending on you know, the time you have available to you, because some people are working full-time and conducting a job search. Some people are treating their job search like a full-time job. I think though, it's less about the literal time and more looking at it through these lenses, because I think it helps the whole process of getting hired feel a lot less overwhelming and understand you can't just go make your resume if you're not clear on your features, benefits, skills, and the job you want to get in the future, especially important in your job search, right? If you're not clear on the job you want to get four years from now, how do you know the job you're applying to now is setting you up to give you the skills you need to be that UX manager four or five years from now? If you're not looking to get hired and you're happily employed right now, I think this kind of framework is something I would definitely visit once a year, almost like an annual review, redo your career roadmap, see if where you are right now is still the path you want to be going on. Take a chance to update some of those marketing materials, or maybe you think to yourself, oh, I started this Instagram account or Twitter account. And after thinking about it for a year and doing it for a year, I actually hate it, you know? And then the sales part too, the relationship building, to me, that part is something that should be more ongoing, to be honest, than yearly, because to build those relationships, like it takes some planning, some prioritization. And, you know, depending on how much time you have, it could be something you revisit monthly, quarterly. But at minimum, the whole framework, I think, definitely good strategy for an annual review. I think depending on the relationship you have with your manager or if your manager, the relationship that you have with your reports, I feel like this 
framework also lends itself as a great opportunity to collaborate with whether it be your manager or the folks that you report with as well. Definitely, definitely. I see like this being something that communities do together, how big or how small they are. And also this framework is really valuable, you know, to review before your annual review or whatever it is with your boss, because just by reflecting on what you've done and maybe tweaking your resume or something, we had someone join Career Strategy Lab. And I think within the first six weeks had a performance review and made a few tweaks to their portfolio and resume and like got a salary increase and they were not even expecting it. But just by showing their work, selling themselves a little, they impressed their manager. And my hunches reminded their manager of things they did that maybe the manager forgot and then got a raise. And I was like, that's amazing. (laughs) So there's many uses for this. It's not just because you're looking for a job. I feel like there's a many use cases for it, as well as where my mind started going is a a job is simply a goal. So it's really like any goal that you have in mind is what you can apply it to. And it can also be scoped accordingly, whether it be a goal that you have over the next week, or a higher level goal that you have over the next six months or quarter or, or whatever it may be. You made me think of something else too. Even though it's called the product of you and you are in the middle as the quote product, these concepts are valuable if you're trying to get your team or your manager or a client to buy into an idea, right? If you have an idea, the idea is the product at the center of the Venn diagram. And then you have to figure out how are you going to market that idea? How are you going to sell that idea? And yeah, if you take those two literally, then doesn't exactly make sense. But if you can think more conceptually, you'll understand how whether you're getting a job, selling an idea to a client, these skills of communicating your value, both written, visually, and then using relationships to get to yes, that's valuable in many parts of your career and frankly, your life too. Completely. Well, I want to shift to uh, a closing question. So if you could ask one thing of the audience in relation to what we spoke of today, what would it be? If I were to ask them one question, I would say, is where you are now in your career, where you want to be? And if not, what are the things that are blocking you? I think if you can get that out of your head and onto paper, then it's going to help you feel less stuck if you are stuck and help you start to prioritize the things that are within your control versus not within your control to try and move forward in whatever direction that is for you. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time and your insights and your story, Sarah. This was a lovely conversation and I really resonate with the framing on all these different levels. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. That wraps up another episode of Design to Be Conversation. Thank you so much for listening. If you're curious to learn more about Design to Be, head over to designtobe.com. That is D-E-S-I-G-N-T-O-B-E.com. 
If you enjoyed this episode, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you may listen, or share this episode with a fellow designer, your team, or on social. These are all excellent ways to support the show. And as always, thanks so much for listening.